Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Now, acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box of this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks for salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team Tidy Business, baby. Welcome back to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Mike Stevens, and sitting virtually across from me, again, it's part of Ian Tullock Week. It's Ian Tullock. How you doing, buddy, in the last two, three days since we talked? I'm doing great. I'm, again, filling in for Rachel Dory, who is still on the mm-hmm. IR. Any update on her uh, her status? Is she coming back next week? I think she's coming back next week. But if she isn't, then uh, then we'll have to, to get some. This is not a long-term absence. Let's just put it that way. Okay. She's... This is like a healthy scratch just to see if we can get her going. You know, she's going to come back with some fuel, some fire, and, and then she, we're not going to need to punish her like this again. Yeah, I just want Rachel to to observe the podcast for a little bit, really, so she can get up to speed kind of with what our systems are like. Um, I think that's really important because it just doesn't seem like she's really, you know, bought in yet. And I think, you know, she's she's got to, you know, just get up in the press box, look at the systems, look at what it's like to compete, and and then potentially it might light a fire under her. We don't know, but she's not in the doghouse. I want to make that very clear. I don't have a doghouse, so she's not in the doghouse. So we're not firing just, her the way that the Montreal Canadiens did with their head coach, with the team with the best goal differential at 5-on-5. Five five. We're not going to do that to her? No, you bet your sweet ass we're not doing that to her. But that's a great segue, Ian. Look at you. Um, this this news came with, I you, you know, you never, never want to celebrate someone losing their job, especially in these trying times. Like, obviously, I think Claude Julien seems like a really good person. He seemed, and you know, he's, he's been a good coach. He's had success, but I got to tell you, man, the, the joy and the, the sheer pettiness that flowed through my veins upon seeing this on happen and, and unfold on Twitter, the juggernaut Habs firing coach Claude Julian and assistant coach Kirk Muller while promoting Dominic Ducarme, um, to interim head coach along with Alex Burroughs as assistant coach, which is really cool. Um, and he's, I want to kind of get into his story a little bit too in this segment, but it just, it's very, very funny to see this. Just what are your thoughts on this, Ian? I think Claude Julien is one of the best coaches in the NHL. When you look at his ability to impact a team, when he walks into any team he comes into, they become one of the Mm -hmm. best teams at five on five at controlling the game. I know that scoring goals was an issue for them over the last couple weeks, but I think giving up goals was the bigger issue. And I think, 
if you look at Carey Price's numbers over the last four years and compare it to the numbers four years before that, there's a stretch mm-hmm. here where his save percentage, I want to pull it up because it's basically two different versions of Carey Price. There's the Carey Price yeah. that everyone in the media seems to think he still is. And then there's the version he's actually been for the last few years. So if I take yeah. you 2013 through 2017, here's his save percentages. 927, 933, 934, 923. That's the carry Those price. Those are incredible. Yeah, exactly. That's the elite, you know, number one goaltender in the NHL that we all think of. Here's his last 937 four is absurd. 93 that's he's the guy was rocking in his prime in almost 940 save percentage. That's insane. 933 was the one that got him the Hart Trophy in 66 games back in 2014-15. Yeah. But here's his Incredible. last four seasons. 900, 918, which is actually good. 909 yeah. and then this year he's at an 888 as of the time we're recording this. And that's basically Jesus. the story right there. Show me a good coach, I'll show you yeah. a good goalie, show me a bad goalie, I'll show you a bad coach. Yeah. So What's the problem here with Claude Julien? I don't see how they think they're going to get any better. I don't know how who you're going to replace him with Ducharme, who is an assistant coach. I'm looking at this Montreal Canadiens team, and I think, okay, how do you improve? you got to make the power play better. That's been the biggest mm-hmm. issue over the last few years, is they haven't been able to find a way to click at 5-4. Five at 5-5, five five, they dominate play. They dominate chances. Yeah. They dominate shots. They've been dominating goals this year. So... Where do you go from here if you're the Montreal Canadiens? Just because I remember when they fired Michelle Therrien right when Claude Julien became available, and I thought it was a brilliant mm-hmm. move because you're never going to find a better French-Canadian head coach. But uh, you just fired him, and are you going to replace him with a better French-Canadian head coach? I don't think there are any ones out there. Does Bruce Boudreau qual- qualify? He has a French-sounding last name. Does that one count? I don't think he knows any French. That's the thing. He also He also just said he wants to be... He wants to be Seattle's head coach, basically. So that, that's kind of off the board. Jay Fresh, great follow on Twitter, um, of Elite Prospects now. He put out a, uh, a very interesting stat that explains a lot of these struggles, too, where he goes, you know, the, like the Habs, essentially, they have a really poor penalty kill. They have a goaltender in Carey Price who is struggling mightily shorthanded. Most goalies do, obviously, but like he is struggling very much shorthanded. And they have the worst even strength penalty or minor penalty, sorry, differential in the entire NHL. So when it comes to, you know, killing stuff off, like it's that that is just a recipe for disaster. They have a terrible penalty kill. They take the most even um, five on five penalties and they have a goaltender who struggles while on the penalty kill while shorthanded. That's just a recipe for disaster right there. Carrie, for what it's th- worth, four yeah. and five save percentage isn't super repeatable. So that sounds like something to me that eventually would come back up to earth. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 the Habs are they're such a. They're just such a confounding sort of team because every like I've never seen the media flock behind and I speak in the media like we're not in that. But I've never seen like, you know, just a hockey minds flock behind a team with such little success, like tangible success before. Like this is a team they finished. We, we were people forget they finished 24th in the NHL last year and they didn't win a playoff series. They won a qualifier series and then they got beat by the Flyers and they are for like. With this Carey Price contract, like this is rough, man. He's got ten point two. He's got ten point five million dollars left for another four years. Or no, isn't it? Isn't it more than that? Like it's. Uh, I should already. His have cap, cap friendly page is interesting. Here, I'll, I'll take Very, over here and okay. let you look it up. But I was curious when you brought up the penalty differential stat because again, when we're talking mm. about stuff that I think should regress in time, how often do referees balance penalties? Over, oh, all the time. You know, That's the name of the so, game. 
when I hear the fact that, oh, they have a 4v5 save percentage that isn't very good, and they're one of the worst penalty differential teams in the league, I'm thinking, well, over the course of the season, shouldn't that come back up to earth? But I also saw on Sportsnet the other day that they spent $100 million in free agency when most teams were not spending money in the COVID offseason. So if you're an owner of a team and you're spending a lot of money and you don't see wins, I know that owners in this sport, not just this sport, every sport, if you're an owner spending money and you don't see the actual results, you're going to be asking questions and you clearly are going to say, okay, Claude Julien is the problem. Let's see if we can get him out of there. I don't think that's the best way of looking at it because I don't think he is the specific problem with this team. I think he, if anything, has done a great job to get the most out of a roster that for a long time didn't have any scorers on it. He was simply uh, putting in a system where if you look at Claude Julian teams, they always defend the neutral zone in elite mm-hmm. level. You look at the way that they take away space, the way that he gets every player to buy into that. Like we were talking about with Rachel Dory at the beginning, buying into the system. You know, yeah. Claude Julian gets his players to buy into the system at five on five. Pay attention, Rachel. <laughs> but you've got the Carey Price contract up there. What is it? How many more years? It is. It's five more years. So it, it expires at the end of the 2025-26 season. Which is nuts. And he's 33. If you look at the goaltending, too, because this carry like the entire reason that they that they acquired Jake Allen, they gave up assets and they also they also absorbed four point three five million dollars on their cap this year and then signed him to a two year extension as a backup at what they would think would be sort of like a one B to two point eight seven five when goaltenders, you know, are getting, you know, flung around at, at you know really low prices. They the whole conceit behind that was that they were going to make Carey Price better by giving him more rest. And this is the worst. I know this is, you know, 20 games or something into the season, but this is the worst Carey Price I think has ever looked. And they got a goaltender, paid him a lot of money and gave up assets to do it to to make their goaltender better, their star goaltender who's making 10.5 million against the cap, who you should already not have to do that for. You should already not have to, you know, insulate and protect a 10.5 million dollar player. And I know I know that they I know I know that goaltenders like it's all about rest. I completely understand that. I just think they're first of all, they have a ton of goaltending prospects in the system that I think they that come at a way cheaper cap hit that they could that they probably could either elevate and force into that role or they could have they could have gone out and signed freaking Aaron Dell and he would have, you know, for 800 grand and he would have been a decent stopgap. But instead, they went out and they decided to commit, you know, f- over 15 million dollars to the goaltending this year in a flat cap when, you know, when you look at the the price that they essentially or the the, mon- the dollar figures they're throwing around by saying How much you know, did Jake oh, Allen making this year as a backup? 4.35 why? I know, I know. And the whole point, the whole reason, the whole conceit behind that was, yeah, you know, it's a lot of money. But by extension, it's going to make Carey Price, you know, friggin' unbeatable because the guy's going to be rested all the time. We can give him, you know, spot starts. Like, he'll feel really kind of protected. Jake Allen was like, yeah, I'm not gunning for his number one job. I'm here to be a great support system. And they've never looked worse. I think that's an absurd amount of money to spend on goaltending in the modern era right now. I think when you look at the teams who are trying to, sustain winning over a multi-year kind of find a window where they can win where do you allocate your cap resources you know your star center maybe a star defenseman a couple really good forwards 
But if you're pouring that much money into goaltending, I think that takes away from the biggest problem on this team is that they can't get their power play going. Mm-hmm. And you got to pay for power play points. We know this better than anyone as fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs who have uh, Mitch Marner on their team. Nikita Zaitsev a few years ago put up a bunch of oh, secondary boy. assists on the power play. And those get you paid, baby. Oh, they sure do. I was hoping, as a, if I were a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, I'd be thinking, is Nick mm-hmm. Suzuki our savior on the power play? Can he come in and run this thing? Because Jonathan Drouin couldn't. We can't seem to find a way to get Shea Weber to use that slap shot in an efficient way on the power play. Mm-hmm. He loves launching them from the blue line, which, by the way, no one launches more shots from the blue line than Shea Weber because of his ability to actually beat a goaltender from there. I'm not sure if you watched the other night. He put a half on net, and it beat an NHL goalie clean. It, it's just, yeah. it's such a hard That's, shot. That doesn't happen. But they've never used him in the Ovechkin spot. And when they've tried to, he always kind of leans towards coming back to the blue line just because I think he's naturally a defenseman. He, he seems to want to get back there. I still think the way to unlock Shea Weber's slap shot and to find a way to get this Montreal power play to work is by setting Shea Weber up on his on the half wall, on his strong side, and saying, mm-hmm. you are a shooting threat. You don't need to pass the puck too much. Just stand there like Patrick Lane does. And we'll see if we can send you some cross-ice passes. They've never really done it that way. They've always kept him at the top of the blue line. And when you have that, I don't know. I, I feel like you're going to force him to take a lot of shots that probably aren't the most efficient shots. It's like Tyson Berry winding up for a slap shot in Edmonton's power play. And yep. Conrad David and Leon Dreisaitl looking at him going, you realize there's a better play here, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? You look at this too, and this was a point that was brought up on the Steve Dangle podcast. I was listening to it this morning while you know while doing some errands, and they brought up a really good point: is that so, Claude? If you look in the bubble, like the whole their performance in the bubble is the entire reason why the the league, the league as a whole, but like the the NHL media decide to rally behind this team and you know call them juggernauts and call them you know the next contenders and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. Nick Suzuki's a mini a mini Patrice Bergeron, which is now going to be my running joke every time he plays poorly um but i still think he's pretty good for what it's worth oh oh my god absolutely but like it, it's just like the over exaggeration he's a mini patrice like fucking relax okay he's not but patrice bergeron's one of the best you know two-way players we've ever seen and and he, this guy's 21 like let's relax but in the bubble like that's where that's where their entire success stem that's where they seem the most they, they sorry that's where they experience the most success and that's where the narrative behind you know the montreal canadians are an emerging juggernaut was formed What's funny, or not not funny, but what's interesting is Claude Julian wasn't their coach through most of the bubble. He showed up, then he had then he had to go to the, you know, he had to go he had to leave the bubble due to due to get heart surgery, open heart surgery basically, and you know because of that he obviously didn't go back into the bubble just to keep himself safe, and the Canadians were successful, and also it gave management, it gave ownership, a glimpse into what life would be like without Claude Julian behind the bench. It gave that, you know, because at the end of the day, like before the bubble, this was a 24th place team. And in, in any normal circumstances, they would have, you know, probably ended the year a 24th place team. And they would have at least been considering firing him then and probably on, in the lead up to the bubble. And yeah, weirdly, if not for COVID, we're yeah. probably not talking about this team too much. But because we had a 24 team playoff format and they were the 24th team who... It was a drastic drop-off, I want to say, from the top 20, and then even 22, 23, down to 24. Their regulation wins were crazy low last year. It wasn't a very strong team in terms of the actual results. You look at all of the nerdy things, you know, the underlyings, look at their Corsi, look at their expected Mm -hmm. goals at 5-on-5. But then when you have a weak power play and your goaltending isn't as strong as you think it is... 
that's going to result in you losing more games than you probably should. This year, it's a similar story at 5-on-5. They're great, but their penalty kill sucks, and their goaltending sucks. Therefore, their coach got fired. We see this happen a lot in hockey, but I don't think it's fair to Claude Julia, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with that. Oh, absolutely. But I also think there's some credence to the fact that I think after a certain point, and this is this is this happens in any kind of work environment, but especially in sports. At a certain point, a coach's voice just loses meaning. Julian's been there for a while. You know, we we've seen him have have sort of chafed relationships with with players in the past. Him and Domi just straight up did not get along, and that's what precipitated his exit. He's not and a I Victor re- Mete guy. He's not a Victor Mete guy. You know, Philip Deneau was getting real pissed because uh, it seemed like Suzuki was taking his center spot. You know, stuff like that. And I think, yes, you know, the, the underlying numbers are great are, are great for the Habs in terms of, you know, what Claude Julien's systems are like. I think, you know, I, I, I'm among in agreement. I think you'll get, you know, snatched up in a heartbeat. Like, if I was New York, I'd be like, goodbye, David Quinn. Hello, you know, Claude Julien. Let's roll. Any team who can't defend at 5-on-5 five five right now, just bringing Claude Julia and all yeah. of a sudden your neutral zone structure will look a lot better. Exactly. But then at the same time, I think, you know what, it prob- like, I, I just don't think that the, the team was listening to anymore. I don't think that, that his voice carried the weight that a head coach's voice should in the dressing room anymore. And it was probably just time to go. The thing that's, that's a bummer now for the, for the Habs is that the language barrier essentially constricts them to a very, very short list of candidates. And a this lot of those can the case with them, whether it's a coach exactly. or a GM. Yep. But but that those candidates, a lot of them are retreads. A lot of them they've already like Claude Julian had already coached, you know, the Habs before. Like, you know, the uh, M- Michelle Terrian had already coached. Like there's only so many French speaking, you know, coaches in the league. And what are the it, like the whole thing was when Bergevin and we're going to get to him next um, was maybe on the the hot seat one of the million times he's been there and then was able to sort of you know sneak under that limbo bar it was all okay but they'll just try and poach Julian Brisebois and then they and then Tampa locked him in there and so it's like well who else are you going to bring in who's you know who can fit the language the, the you know the 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 lingual um, criteria here so i like i straight up don't know who else like because gerard gallant although he has a french speaking name he apparently doesn't speak much french <laughs> this that's is like bruce boudreaux it's just find someone who has a french sounding exactly. last name he's a french sound classes so that they can do the media <laughs> but remember the last time that the habs and it was an interim coach at the time i can't remember his name it was, it was randy cunnyworth i'm pretty sure something like that yeah. They, they got him in as an interim head coach and they're like, he's interim and he's taking French classes and the media straight up revolted. Like they wouldn't talk to him because you need to be French speaking. And I, in, on the, off the top of my head, like what are they going to do? Bring Patrick Wall out of retirement? And that won't even solve anything because we saw how, in, it, I, I don't know where they go coaching wise unless they commit to Ducarme. And it could just be this, a, a, a sense, I don't know anything about his coaching strategy, but it could be a sense of just getting a new voice in there. As someone who speaks French, not fluently, but somewhat, you're pronouncing Ducharme terribly. Is it Ducharme? Just, oh, I thought it was, okay, it's my really bad. Bu- I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. Just sorry, just I'm sounding it out. But Man, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I got a 50 on the dot in grade nine applied French, and I never took it again. Like See, that, I went all the way through university. I went through uh, high school, and then I was planning on taking it all the way through university, and I did not, so. Yeah, um, I did the low, like, I literally did the bare minimum when it came to French. Like I, I took the lowest level French applied French in grade nine, which is you have to take something gra- French in grade nine that you can drop it. And I got the lowest possible mark with passing as a 50 on the dot 
and I just never took it again. So it, uh, look, let's just say so I'm what not you're gonna, saying is that you're not a candidate for the yeah. Montreal Canadiens head coaching job. Okay, I'm just saying, let's just say I'm not going to be behind the Habs bench anytime soon. But I mean, we can check what Jack Martin is up to. I don't know if, but uh, he's already I'm, been like all of these guys have already been there. Like you, it's just it's just a carousel. It's just it one. Reminds like, me of the Edmonton Oilers. If you want to work in their yeah. management group, have you worked with for them before? Okay, maybe you got a shot. It, it, when they were going from all right, Kevin Lowe, no, Craig McTavish, no, like. Yada, yada, yada. It just doesn't work that way. Now, the person who made the, the I guess, decision, or he probably had to get, you know, approval from ownership, but the person who, who actually exacted the decision is Mark Bergevin. Now, this is the third head coach that he's been on. And in football, I, I think about this in football, most GMs don't get to hire a second head coach. That's the way they look at it. The majority of GMs, if not you know ninety percent of GMs, if you if you get if you hire your second head coach, that means you they're either extreme circumstances behind that or you're like a, a, a god in the front office. And Mark Bergevin in hockey, it's a bit different. But in Mark Mark Bergevin, he's now on three, and he is he's extremely peculiar because when you look at his moves one by one, you look them in, you take a fine tooth comb, you look through them granularly. He's won a lot of the trades and he's made good signings. He, he, he's exacted good value from players. Like you look at it, you know, he, he won both Domi trades. He, you know, <laughs> like when you think about that, he traded Alex Galchenyuk, who's now a Leaf. And I just was reminded of that this morning. Um, he traded Galchenyuk for Domi straight up and everyone criticized the move of the time. And it worked. He, you know, Domi was better than Alex Galchenyuk is clearly, you know, Domi hasn't cleared waivers. So that's a good, you know, a good sign there. Um, he was able to, to turn, I think it was a Dale Weiss and someone else into Philip Deneau. He won the Max Pacioretty, trading your captain, and he won. He got I'd Nick Suzuki. I'd say both teams are pretty happy with that trade. Absolutely. But, he, but, okay, normally in that kind of trade, there's a clear winner and a loser. When you trade your captain, there's a clear... But he was able to, to make it work pretty well. Now they have Nick Suzuki, who's apparently, you know, mini Patrice Bergeron. You know, also, the Thomas ben- Tatar, who's one-third of one of the best first lines in hockey. He was a, he was a cap dump. And they were able to like rehab him. Ben Sherratt, they were able to to you know get him for nothing. He won the Subban trade. Like you look back now, he won it definitively, and that was you know if Subban cr- doesn't get injured, you know exactly, that, exactly. But, but hey, look if you know if if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, you know we'd all have a merry Christmas. I think that's what the 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 saying goes. It it, it like you can do ifs and buts and everything, but he th- this is his tangible experience. You know, like he he signed to Foley at a discount. He, that's a great deal. Works perfectly with what they need and cap hit and even term and all that kind of stuff. You know, Ben Sherratt he got for nothing. Like these are good moves that he made. But then when you look at the on ice actual product, he just hasn't. He has. There's been no success. His he has in not. He's been the GM. This is I think ninth or tenth season. I'm going to say it's nine. He didn't make the playoffs in four seasons. He's had three playoff round victories. All of them were for, or oh no, two of them were on one run, and the other one was a, a first round win. And then he's had th- three other first round exits. Like that, that's not successful. It sounds like you think the person being fired right now shouldn't be Claude Julia. You're saying that Mark Bergeron at this point has kind of made his bed? Or are you saying that he's a strong GM who is dealing with a goaltender who's just not getting many saves? But then again, who gave him that contract? Exactly. What I'm saying is I don't know what to think. Because, I, again, like I said, you take a fine-tooth comb through Mark, Mark Bergevin's moves, and he's made good ones. He's won most of the trades he's made. He's signed you know, the, the players that he's been able to sign. He's, been signed, he's signed good players. This is a, you look at the roster, and it's a good roster. 
And yet throughout the entire time, and he's been there for, you know, a decade at this point, it's 2021. He was hired in 2011 and there's no success to, to speak from. They made the conference finals one year it, back, you know, when I was still in high school, that's great. But other than that, there's nothing. And this is why, because I think, you know, he been, he's been here for long enough. He's through his, you know, he's through three head coaches. He gave this goalie a huge contract, you know, uh, that yes, he probably earned at the time, but still going, going that long with a goalie over 30 and he's only getting worse. And this, this is a contract that could straight up sink a franchise. I have no idea what to think. Like, what do you think? Because I, I'm, I, I'm torn between, you know, really going in on Bergevin here and also thinking, you know what he's done? He's been a good GM. It just hasn't worked out. I think the second he signed that Carey Price contract, I think all of the the decisions and all the results that have come afterwards, it's kind of like, okay, you made your bed here. You yep. signed yep. this guy who you want to be your franchise player, but it's a goaltender in his 30s who's been through a few injuries now, and this is what happens with goaltenders in their 30s who have been through a few injuries. So yep. I... I'm thinking, okay, if I'm running this team, what do I do to improve their chances of winning? The Max Pacioretty trade, I loved the idea of that because you got not only a great young asset in Nick Suzuki, you mm-hmm. had a reclamation project in Thomas Tatar who you turned into a first-line winger. You reclaimed On that them. line with Deneau and Gallagher, that, people don't realize how good that line is. They're, they're matched up against the top lines in the NHL every night, and they outplay them. They live in the offensive zone. That's a good thing. And Thomas Tatar is probably the best zone entry wizard on that line. He does a lot of their damage in transition. Mm-hmm. He knows the defensively oriented guy. Brendan Gallagher is going in the corners to win puck battles. Tatar's the puck carrier on that line. He's done a really good job. So I look at this team. I like them at five on five. Mm-hmm. I don't like their goaltending. I don't like their power play. And that's the issue. They're not getting a new goaltender anytime soon. Who's going to rework the power play? What's going to be the new strategy? Who are going to be the new pieces? I, I'm not sure if it, anything drastically different is going to happen over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, just because it's kind of been the same problems on the power yeah. play over the last few years. It's low percentage shots. It's not having that dynamic superstar. It reminds me of the Minnesota Wild, of a team who is strong at five on five, but doesn't have that superstar talent or two yeah. that you're looking for to break a game wide open. And that's why Nick Suzuki early in the season, I think, was giving so many people a lot of hope because, wow, this is a guy who can strip the puck off of people and make plays in open space. Maybe he's someone who can get our power play going. Hasn't been the case yet, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen the rest of the way. I do think that Carey Price is going to finish the season with a save percentage above 888. Probably. But I don't think it's going to be above average. And no. At ten and a half average is dropping, too. And for $4.3 million for a below-average backup, that's also a problem. 4.35 actually. So they're paying fifteen million dollars for subpar yeah. goaltending, and and then they signed like it's also it's not it's even like an age thing. Like not only is their goaltending expensive, but it's old. Like Jake Allen is thirty right now, and then they signed him before he even played a game with them. He, they signed him to a two year extension that's worth two point eight seven five mil per. So for the and barring anything that that happens through Jake Allen's thirty one to thirty two years and through Carey Price's thirty three to thirty eight years, they're gonna have thirteen point or yeah thirteen point three seven five. I'm pretty sure wrapped up in their goaltending. It the next three years are probably gonna be a flat cap, and that's also keeping in mind that 
you know, in in those next two years, Romanov's going to need it. But even like getting Romanov, great move by him. But Romanov's going to need a new deal. Suzuki's going to come up and, and, you know, after next year, Kakanyemi's going to is an RFA this season. Like they they've had they've done a good job at keeping a lot of their forwards down, like price down, like the highest paid player on their team right now is uh, not until next year when Brendan Gallagher makes 6.5, but the highest paid player on their team right now is Jonathan Drewen and Josh Anderson. They both make 5.5. They're both t- once 25, once 26. Drewen, does he, does he er- deserve that contract? Absolutely not. He's being terrible, but whatever. Josh Anderson, he's being pretty good, but he's injured again. And that's a contract that can implode at any moment. We know this guy, he is, he's proven to be injury prone. He plays an injury prone way of playing. And we've seen exactly what's happened to him while fighting through injuries. He scored one goal yet last year. So it's, this is a really shaky, but th- this is a shaky squad as it is right now. At the same time though, and this comes back to the whole conflicting thing, the devil and angel on my shoulder, Bridge Van's built one of the best prospect systems in the league. You know, they have reinforcements coming in a little bit. So I think like, what do we say? Because he's beyond three head coaches, no playoff success, yada, yada. And yet, you know, he, he's been able to win most of the trades he's, he's, he's made, sign really good contracts, save for the price deal, um, which, you know, that could be a big knockout blow, and draft pretty well. Like, what, what's going on? I don't know. I'm a Claude Julian truther. Yeah. I don't agree with this decision. And I think the biggest problem is the goaltending the, and special teams. And here's the thing. Coaching is where you can impact special teams more Mm -hmm. than anything. So maybe that's the biggest issue here is that if Claude Julien is so great at five on five, why hasn't he fixed the Canadian special teams? And maybe a big argument as to why you try to find someone who can come in and keep that five on five structure, but help open things up a bit better on the power play. Remember when he got fired in Boston, Bruce Cassidy came in, got more East West passing in the offensive zone. And David Mm -hmm. Pasternak is now scoring a lot of goals because of it. So maybe that's that's what you're hoping for. I just don't know how likely it is that you're going to improve in the coaching department when you fire Claude Julia. Where do you think he goes? It's a good question. I know you said Seattle might be an option. I wonder if he like takes the rest of the year off, mm-hmm. sees what's available in the off season, and picks the best situation for him. If I if I was him, I like if at least if I was the Rangers, I'd dump David Quinn in an instant right now and try and get Claude Julian. He seems to be able. He seems to be the person who f- needs to fix what their Achilles heel is right now. I'm wondering if a good team has a poor playoff result, fires their head coach, yes, and Claude yes. Julien goes, that's a spot where I can come in and make a difference. Yeah, I don't think Claude Julien's going, wants to go through a rebuild. He's older, he's had open heart surgery, you know, he, I'm not sure how much stress and much longer he wants, you know, he wants to uh, put on his body, so he's probably going to go to a, a decent situation if it opens up. All right, going to plot points now. Trending down, as they have been through most of history. The Buffalo Sabres. Now, I know we brought this up, you know, with the Jeff Skinner uh, scratch and everything last episode, but it's worth noting because a lot has happened to the Sabres in the last little bit. Um, Skinner has been a healthy scratch for three straight games since we brought that up. It's it's not looking good for him. He's got six more years left or no, seven more years left. I'm pretty sure on a he's got six after this one on a deal that pays him $9 million per year. Again, flat cap. And, uh, it, you know, in a, in a very economically challenging, you know, uh, position in, in the world. So these these albatross deals, they're more lethal than they normally would be. Ralph Kruger then was also, also offered a, an insight. He says, you know, is Jeff Skinner in my doghouse? No, I don't have a doghouse. And yet Jack Eichel was a late scratch last night, and they put in Riley Sheehan 
instead of kind of switching some things around and inserting Jeff Skinner back in the lineup. Speaking of that, Eichel scratch, he was a uh, he took warm ups and then was scratched with what they call a lower body injury. Now, it, that kind of contrasts things because on Monday, um, this is Friday recording, but on Monday, uh, Kruger was asked about Jack Eichel's status and he said he's not injured. And then, uh, you know, late on Thursday night, he gets late scratched. Speaking of injuries as well, Linus Allmark injured in the first period. Um, so he's gone. And I think it's Carter Hutton who's behind him. Not great. And Taylor Hall hasn't scored in 15 games. Him and Eichel are not even playing together. And Jake McCabe out four to six months with an ACL tear. What, what, what do you even do here? How do, you, how do you parse through this? Is there any way to move forward as, a, as the Buffalo Sabres? So first, can I just say that I don't believe the conspiracy theory that Eichel was being scratched because a trade is imminent? No, no, no. He's injured. Let's just put that. I I just think it's funny. I just brought that up because it's funny because the coach is like, no, he's not injured. And then, you know, give it, you know, two more days or three more days. And then he takes warm ups and then is a scratch for injury. So it just shows the maybe the coach isn't dialed into the status of maybe his his captain and most important player. So we talked about Buffalo a few days ago and really got into the weeds of kind of what the problem was right now, what the problem has been over the last few years. And the biggest question is where the hell do you go from here? Because you're going to trade Taylor Hall at some point to the highest bidder, whether it's a Colorado Mm -hmm. or a Toronto or a Vegas or whichever team is poning up the most assets for him. I don't know if Boston wants him. I'm sure someone's going to offer a first-round pick, a high-end prospect, and maybe even a current roster player for him. I don't Mm -hmm. know what that trade looks like, but you're going to get some assets there. After that, it's looking rough. It looks like you're going to have to trade Jack Eichel at some point here because it's going to play out that contract. I I don't think he is. I don't think he's going to finish that contract in Buffalo. No way. This sucks. If you're a Sabres fan, this is just brutal. You can't, for the sake of hockey, waste Jack Eichel's prime like that. Like, you, you just can't do that. He's, you know, he, he's actually, given his skill set, he's kind of playing at a discount. Like, he's making, what, 10.5, I'm pretty sure? 10. 10 like, on the dot. 10 on the dot? Look, yeah. man, compared to, you know, what top-end centers are making, like, even if you compare it, I, I love John Tavares, but you compare it to the Tavares deal. Like, Eichel is better than Tavares, and he's making a full million dollars less. Like, it's... You have a you you have a guy who you know, and he's stuck with this team, man. Like if you're a young player, he didn't have to sign this deal, but he did. And you've brought in like what I really want to get into as well. Like Eichel, he's probably going to get traded. I think just for the sake of of hockey itself, but also also Eichel, he's been it's been reported that he's been upset for like the longest time. And I think this is they brought in a guy in Taylor Hall to play with him and be a great you know. Robin to his Batman and really reignite them and become a fun, fast team. You know, Jeff Skinner, dynamic goal scorer, all that. And it just, everything is fizzled. And I think at this point, Jack's got just got to be like, come on. Like, there, if this didn't work, there's no way it's going to work here. But Taylor Hall is the real case study because, man, I, he did this to himself. I have no sympathy for him <laughs> whatsoever. He had the ability to go to Colorado and like he was offered deals to go to Colorado and, you know, short term as well. Maybe, you know, maybe six million instead of the eight million he, he signed might with. still get to play there. Oh, totally. But like he but then again, like he, he ruined it because he has no what kind of trade values this guy have now. He is 
He's a no move clause, so I, I think in a in a way he can kind of decide his destiny here. Exactly, but it's just he did this to himself. Like he, I, I have no sympathy for it. He he decided in a you know in a contract year when he wants to go. Okay, so I'm not going to get the huge money that that I was thinking of, considering it's COVID and everything. So I'll take a one, I'll take it you know a short term deal, one to two years. Go out, have a friggin' explosive season. You know, show that I'm. Also, one thing is show that I can perform as well in the playoffs because he's played f- five playoff games his entire career. So that should have been the number one thing that I was looking for for him was go to a team that can make the playoffs because then you get the biggest stage. and You can get that cachet of being a super contributor. You, If you make the conference finals or Stanley Cup finals or whatever, automatically that's an extra 500 grand in your pocket per year. Instead, he signs with the fucking Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> And I just have no sympathy. There's no, there, in my mind, from the doesn't matter if they, if they were explosive together. That's a wasted year. You wasted a year, and he's not even he's not even doing himself any favors. He is burning money. He hasn't scored in 15 games. He's also a bit snake bit. I mean, at five on five, him and Taylor, him and Jack Eichel, when they share the ice, they're just completely controlling play. They're living in the offensive zone, and I think they're shooting a combined like five percent. It it's bad luck. But then again. He had a bit of bad Taylor luck. Taylor Hall's last had bad year. luck forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he's he one also goal. won the Hart Trophy a couple of years ago. This isn't a bad player we're talking about. Yeah, but he has one goal in in seventeen games. One. Would you want that's your not good team enough to cheer for? Him? Sorry. Would you want your favorite team to trade for him, knowing that he's an elite talent, or are you convinced that this is the player he is? I still think he's one heck of a transition player, and if you play him with good players, you're going to get good results. It, but. He's in Buffalo right now. Things aren't going well luck-wise. But when you're controlling over 60% of the shots and chances at even strength, I think you're playing good hockey. You know, there's a, there's a Cody Ko video um, that, that I love. It's, you ever watch Cody Ko? No, I'm not sure what that is. Sorry. You really should. He's he's a great, you know, he's a YouTuber, comedian, all that kind of, of stuff. Course, he's fantastic. You know, he thing. does. Okay. They have a, he, has a t- he has a podcast with Noel Miller called The Tiny Meat Gang. It's fantastic. Um, and... They do these things called that's cringe and they look and they, they, you know, they, they break down uh, video. They look at videos that are super cringy and they just kind of laugh at them, break them down. They did one for this super like really like, you know, radical and bad Christian girls account. It's called Girl Defined. It's these two girls and they're essentially telling, you know, telling young girls that they can't feel, you know, these feelings. And, you know, it's bad. But one of the videos is, you know, six guys that you shouldn't date, court or marry. And. One of the men that they, that they, you know, one is, you know, Mr. They call him Mr. Struggle and Mr. Struggle is a guy who's always struggling with something, you know, I'll be better next time. I'll be better this, this, whatever. And obviously that's a terrible, you know, thing to do. It's like, you know, he's going through any trauma, you know, don't date this guy, whatever. But then I look at Taylor Hall and I, and, and the, the excuse is always, oh, he's got really bad luck. Oh, he's in a bad situation. Oh, he, you know, he's, he's not getting the ice time he needs to. Oh, you know, he's in a bad... And I think, you know what? At a certain point, at a certain point, this isn't bad luck. At a certain point, I'm tired of giving the benefit of the doubt to someone who keeps going, who, who keeps having caveats of, oh, but this is holding him back. Oh, but that's only... The idea, this, that, this. Taylor Hall's just a Mr. Struggle. He just... He... At what point is he going to thrive despite his circumstances, despite or in spite of his circumstances, in spite of what's around him? Because good players who are worth who are who are worth the money that Taylor Hall is likely going to command as a free agent, even players who are worth the eight million dollars he's commanding right now 
are able to score amidst terrible circumstances. Phil Kessel is still flirted with 30 goals, you know, in the in the Horacek year. And that's Phil Kessel. He's not even a superstar. I think Taylor Hall, he, he did it. He did this to himself. And he's a Mr. Struggle. And I think that's what our, the title of this episode is probably going to be, is Taylor Hall is a Mr. Struggle. Man, he's been a top five winger, top five left winger in the NHL his entire career. You look at any metrics that, that look at a player who picks up the puck in his own end and is able to transition it from defense to offense and then make a play after crossing the blue line. There aren't too many guys who can do it. This is always what I bring up with William Nylander when people criticize him. I go, yeah, but he's good at hockey. So what are we talking about here? What does Taylor Hall have to show for it? Uh, let's see. He's played in Buffalo, Arizona, New Jersey the last three years, and we're concerned about his inability to produce with elite talent. I mean, give him some elite talent. If you play, go to with somewhere good- with elite talent. Like you, he 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 chose to go to Buffalo, man. Like yeah, I don't no, care. That's on him. That's on him. But I'm saying I think he's still a good hockey player. Oh no, dis- absolutely. Despite bad luck, when a player goes through stretches of poor shooting luck. When we try to say, oh, well, this is clearly this player slowing down. He doesn't have it anymore. And then lo and behold, they regress up to their career average and shooting percentage. And we go, whoa, he's on a tear right now. And it's just, well, no, he was kind of always good. And this is kind of how hockey works. Whichever team trades for Taylor Hall, if he goes there and doesn't produce at a point per game pace, I'll be very uh, surprised just because I think when you get him out of these situations that he's been in the last few years and you get him to an actually good situation... I think he will be good. Mr. Struggle. Has Mr. Struggle ever been in a good situation? He went from Edmonton to New Jersey to Arizona to Buffalo. Yeah, but, like, you would think that he would have some say over where he goes. Like He does this year. He has a no-move clause. We're going to get to see it at the trade deadline. I, I think it's it's not his fault that he was, you know, stuck in Edmonton and then got, you know, got traded. Although I think, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't entire. He wasn't entirely blameless in the reason why I think Edmonton decided to move on from him. Uh, but then he went to New Jersey and exceeded, you know, very well. And as we know from from Rachel being here, uh, that was a, a dysfunctional organization. And did they, he win the Hart Trophy while she worked there? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So and, and look, I I, did, I crunched the numbers on their you know during Dory era and post Dory era records and it's it's a it's a shocking it's a shocking drop let me just say that interesting anyway correlation um, not causation I don't know I think that's I think that's direct causation in my humble opinion um yeah I just but then you had the ability to go anywhere this offseason you know for a one-year discount create a super team you know really get into the playoffs because look he's not he's his prime's done. He's 29. He's going, he's going to go to 30 and eventually that those prime years are going to dwindle and he decided to waste one. Again, I don't care how much elite talents in Buffalo. It's, it's the Buffalo Sabres who just had an entire, you know, organizational restructure who are in dire straits internally. And you go there for a team that, that, you know, even with that elite talent has proven they can't do anything for the longest time in a year in the most important year of your NHL career where you establish your value for your one last huge contract and you have one goal in 17 games to show it and your nine million dollar left winger or your nine million dollar you know the forward who's supposed to be in your top six and be you another player who you can who can help elevate your value is sitting in the press box I not a fan of that anyway also trending down the stars fortune after their anthem statement on February 10th the Dallas Stars randomly put out a statement saying, we're going to keep playing the anthem in our arena. I think it came off the heels of 
people starting to notice that Mark Cuban wasn't playing the anthem before Dallas Mavericks games. And so they decided to go out and be like, no, we love the flag. And, uh, and they've lost five straight after that. And I think that's very funny. And also trending up is the Los Angeles Kings team that wasn't supposed to do much this year. You know, they have a very, very good, uh, uh, you know, prospect pipeline. And it was supposed to be a couple of years away. And here they are five straight wins. Very, very good. Now, before we get into our deep dive, which is going to be a fun one. Um, and by fun, I mean extremely frustrating. Real quick word. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way from creating product listings to making discount codes to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Wu Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Our sponsor, Mike fucking Babcock. <laughs> Here we go. This is the, the part I was waiting for. I never want to hear this guy speak ever again. Oh, he will. Don't worry. I think I'm sick. I think I'm tired of hearing this guy talk. So, Ian, I'm not sure if you watched the Leafs game on Wednesday. It was you Wednesday, watch right? the Leafs game? No. Never. No. Your report cards, you just do them off the top of your head. You do them just, just by... I just look at the spreadsheets. I don't watch exactly. the games. Are you crazy? Exactly. That'd be... Who watches the games? Ridiculous. Um, there, was a, there was an interview with Christine Simpson, one of the nicest people in the entire world, most positive and incredible journalists in the entire world, with current of uh, volunteer Saskatchewan University coach, Mike Babcock, you know, I'm not sure why we're giving a volunteer Saskatchewan U sports coach a national interview, but uh, I mean, okay, cool. Promoting these voices. Great. And he has sent and he decided to, um, just, just put like, he should start an only fans because people love, um, you know, people who can do like crazy stuff. There are a lot of feet fetish people out there right now. I don't and, know where this is going, but I and don't like he, it. And he, on national television, was able to fit both of his feet inside his mouth. And I think that's probably um, 
that's probably something that that should be should be captured behind a paywall. But instead, he just decided to spew a bunch of shit. Did you watch the interview? I did. It came up on my Twitter timeline. Unfortunately, these are things that I usually try to avoid. You know, kind of like the uh, the story on the guy that Arizona drafted in the fourth round. Oh the, my the God, sympathy yeah. story on him. I, I usually just don't click on those because you know you know better. But when the video starts rolling on your timeline, you see it's Mike Babcock. You see everyone's talking about. It, you go, okay, maybe I'll listen to this for like thirty seconds. And you hear him refer to himself in the third person. Oh my God, <laughs> psychopath behavior right there, right there. I mean, there's not a lot of Mike Babcock stuff. As someone who's kind of followed this team for the last few years, Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of research into who this guy is and his strengths as a coach, his weaknesses as a coach. Uh, Proof that when he has poor roster talent, he's still able to get results at the team level, which I think is a very good indicator of, wow, this person knows how to coach. If you're able to get results with poor talent, that's an indicator of this person clearly knows what they're doing. The frustrations with Mike Babcock, I don't think had to do with systems. I don't think had to do with structure. I think it had to do Some with... Some of them did. Uh, did you see Jeff O'Neill's take on Mike Babcock recently? Yeah. Jeff O'Neill, that... Look, I don't agree with most of his hockey opinions, but goddamn, when he's talking about Mike Babcock, I it's, it's you know, Uber Eats, Cineplex popcorn to my house and pull up a chair because that guy loves to go off and I love to watch it. For anyone who missed it, he was basically talking about the fact that uh, Mike Babcock struggling with the fact that people yeah. aren't, uh, you know, just praising and bowing at his feet because he was the head coach of Team Canada for gold medals. And that when you don't treat people with respect, that maybe they're not going to treat you back with respect. Maybe you're not going to earn those opportunities that you think you're going to earn. I'm not standing here saying that Mike Babcock's a bad coach. I think he's I a am. very good hockey coach. I think there's a lot of evidence over in the past that has shown that. The first tank season with the Leafs, they outshot and outchanced teams at 5-5 five and five with some of the worst talent I've seen. No, it, but, they, but they lost all that on purpose, though. Mike Babcock yeah, said that. they did. And the, the shooting percentage on the power play when you have Peter Holland on PP1, like, yeah, you're not going to yeah. score a lot of goals. That's how it works. Tobias Lindbergh, baby. There was a year in Detroit where Zetterberg and Datsuk were hurt, and they just they had to clog up the neutral zone with Jonathan Erickson in their top four, and it was it was a brutal roster, and they outshot and outchanced teams to a top five degree in the NHL and made the playoffs. Gustav Nyquist put the team on his back, scored a lot of goals, but these are the the, the facts that I bring up when I say, look, this guy is a good coach. I'm mm. not standing here just criticizing him because I don't like him. I, I don't like him, and I will to criticize him. When enough people, like Johan Franson, yeah. and, and that's another one that he brought up in the interview. He said, oh, yeah, I've reached out to Johan Franson. He hasn't called me back, but yeah, I've reached out to Yeah, we're, I, I, have, I have certain important quotes from the interview that we're going to dissect in a little bit. So, so. He's trying to do the uh, rebuild <sighs> your image thing. And, and here's the thing. If you have people in your corner, people in your camp who say, go do an interview with Pierre Lebrun, go do an interview with uh, Christine Simpson, go do it with reputable people in the industry and make yourself look good, say the right thing. And he still can't do it. I, I don't. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I also think the, the Lebrun article, everyone was criticizing it for being, you know, this, this, you know, PR. No, he, he didn't imbue or he didn't like give an opinion in his, in his, uh, in, in the actual article. He just essentially handed Babcock the mic and was like, these are questions, answer them. And Babcock buried himself. It's different than, you know, for example, the, the man who is dead to us on this podcast, um, you know, redemption piece in the, in the New York post from Larry Brooks is that like it, you could hear Brooks. It was a column. It was an opinion piece. 
it was just, you know, given to like the, the mic was just given to, uh, the man who shall not be named. I almost, almost said his name there. Um, to, to do that Babcock could like it really is staggering to see that Babcock cannot even for five minutes the interview was five minutes on Sportsnet that he spoke with Christine Simpson it was five minutes long and for five minutes this guy can't put on a face that has any humility any accountability any any semblance of regret or contrition for any of these things that he's done because it is always a yeah you know I take ownership of this 100% yeah but and then it's a, and then it's a statement that walks back everything. So, and here's the thing: as you know, someone who's listened to his post game interviews time after time after oh time, God. you start to pick up on you know the way that someone speaks and certain things they're talking about. He always preached accountability, and he always preached the idea of oh well, you know, if someone isn't performing well, then they're not going to play. And the word accountability kept coming up again and oh again and again. And I find it frustrating because I find that he doesn't take accountability of his own actions. Ever, I remember ever. After he didn't play Austin Matthews much in that game seven, he didn't bring it up and he didn't put anything on him. He basically said that he didn't have enough talent. And that was the team that had just traded for Jake Muzzin that year. And I'm thinking, you're going to blame this this team's lack of success on, on roster talent? Are you crazy? So I, I, I want to get into some of these because speaking of that, you know, blaming the, the team's roster talent when they have Austin Matthews, John, et cetera, et cetera. So his first thing was the first question that was asked like two seconds into the video uh, or into the interview was, you know, what, like when when you were let go by the Leafs, like did it come as a surprise? He said no. When I knew when I knew I was fired when Lou Lamorello left or when Lou left, that was in the summer in May of 2018. Mike Babcock got 18 more months basically as head coach of the Leafs. He got another, so he knew he was fired when Lou left, and yet he was given another season and 20 games. And in that time, Dubis signed, gave him to work with. Keep in mind, this is the coach. A guy who complained about roster depth. So in that time, Dubas was able to, to give him John Tavares and Jake Muzzin. Those two players, a number one center and a top four borderline top pairing defenseman. I don't even think borderline. I think legitimate a top, top pairing pair defenseman. defenseman. I was going conservative just in case you said, no, Mike, you're an idiot. He's not because of these numbers. Five on like, five. He takes the tough shifts. Exactly. So he did that. He got him John Tavares and Jake Muzzin, basically solidifying the two of the most important position groups in, in the game by getting him a top line center and a top pairing defenseman. And in return, to, sh- to give out, like to the assets that went out were zero. He gave up zero. Like, well, a first Im- round pick, Carl Grunts from Sean Dursey, but immediate yeah, roster assets. You know what I mean? Immediate yeah. roster assets. Like, like in, that, in the season that they were playing, you would not experience a drop-off because there were no players from that roster shuttled out to bring these new ones. You were just essentially... and Bozak for Tavares basically was... The, the that's essential. a pretty good deal, man, yeah, in my I, opinion. I don't know. JVR is top 10 in points hey, still. Good for that's him. That's true. I also saw a tweet that you said, if you showed me a, a highlight pack of every JVR goal, I'd, I'd insist that it was just the, the same goal on repeat because he, he scores the same way every time. And, you know, look, some of these are muddled, but along with that, in, in the time, he, he gave... Dubas also gave him Tyson Berry, um, who Babcock. Oh wow! Mis- thanks, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate. Well, he, it. he who he mishandled grossly at the start. Like, look, we can take Tyson Berry was a maddening player and clearly not fit for the role he was put in, um, even after. But you have to you have to admit that after Babcock left and Keith took over, Berry both offensively and you know just in terms of underlying numbers played better. He also gave it him. It feels Alex- like we're rehashing old wounds here, but a lot of Babcock decisions 
seem to be in spite of Dubis. Exactly. You know? I, I don't uh, this know is, if it was This is the podcast. rehash old wounds. This is the rehash old wounds hour, Ian. We're doing this. Jo- the way uh, the Josh Levo and Justin Hall thing seemed to be to spite mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Dubas. Not putting Tyson Berry on the first power play unit to start seemed to be, uh, oh, well, you know, screw you, Kyle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this guy a defensive specialist. That didn't go very well. He, you know, oh, man, our depth. We just don't have a ton of depth. And especially our, fo- our fourth line just sucks. Okay, so well, here you go. Here's Jason Spezza, you know, a big guy who you love, Canadian, who you, you know, who you would love, you know, it, one of the best face-off guys in the league. That's exactly what you're looking for on, on, on a, a fourth line. And nope, you know, scratch him in the home opener, all that in spite. Anyway. That was so to that, make it about him. And I think this is the biggest thing is it's yes. his ego and Egomaniac. Uh, finding a way to make the storyline about him when it doesn't need to be. And <laughs> look at this segment of the podcast. Yeah. I didn't expect to be talking about Mike Babcock this week, but here we are. Yeah, because I, and I, I want it much like, you know, and obviously they didn't do the same, you know, kind of thing, but much like, you know, TDA after this, I just never want to fucking talk or hear this guy speak again because he's 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 on the he's on the dead to us list after that. But like like I was saying, where he takes no accountability, like if you remember after the I think it was. Yeah. After the 2019 um uh, game seven loss, which was one of the worst coaching performances I've ever seen. Bruce Cassidy, you know, you know, you know, put him across his knee, pulled down his pants and spanked his ass on national television. Um, Babcock took the podium next to Dubas, who, who was taking accountability for everything, things he probably shouldn't have even taken accountability for. Yeah. He blamed himself for the PK not perform well. I'm like, I'm like dude, what uh, are you going to do? Don't you have a guy man? that you pay to, to run that? Uh, exactly. And Babcock took no accountability whatsoever. And I think at that point I was like, fuck this guy in my head but in that in that you know vein they were talking about the mitch marner incident which you know back when you know which i I, you know yes terry koshan broke the story that it happened but you were the one you and i i remember this you know when i was running leafs nation you were the one who broke that it was mitch marner and wrote an article for us and everything like tweeting about it like casually one night and then it blew up and i went wait what and i'm like oh do i have to write about this and you're like yeah you put an article right now and i I went okay i guess i'll just like tell people what i know and uh you know i'll verify it with a few people and i'm like yep okay i've been able to verify it i'll put this out but exactly I was really worried that it was going to come out the next day and it was going to get denied and I was going to lose all my credibility. So it was, it was nice to hear Marner come out the next day and say, yeah, no, yeah this happened. happened and, you know, is what it is. And I'm like, OK, thanks. All right, cool. That's more or less how I feel. Yeah, exactly. And, and when he was talking about that incident, which, you know, ever we don't even have to repeat it. Everyone knows what Everyone's it was. Everyone's heard he, it by now. Exactly. He goes, the, the actual words, I have them in quotations here in the prep. It's, do I own that? Yeah. Is it my fault? 100%. But... I'm not racist, but anytime you, you throw in the butt into it, it just, it, it's, it feels like it, it doesn't feel genuine anymore. <laughs> Ian, you're, you're in a long-term relationship. When you're in a fight with, with your significant other and you go, uh, is, is, a great, is a great way to approach it when you're in the wrong is to go, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. But, but. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to sleep on the couch. That's a great way to do that. Um, I remember, you I remember have a being in, uh, when I was in Vegas once. I met a guy at a blackjack table, and he'd been married for like fifteen or twenty years. And I was like, "What's your secret? How do you do it? I, I got to learn from you." He said, "Shut the f up. It's yep. always your fault." And I'm thinking, "Man, just you know, just be humble and, and you know, it's some humility. And every so often, it's your fault." I think Mike nope. Babcock, every once in a while, if he were willing to admit that it were it was his fault. Every once in a while, not not all the time, but just you know, yeah, that you know what, I should have played Austin Matthews a few more minutes that time. You know what, maybe I could have handled the Tyson Berry situation a bit better. 
but I don't think he takes accountability for the things that he's done wrong previously in his coaching career. And he's still getting opportunities with the Saskatchewan volunteer opportunity. I guarantee you that after this run with the Saskatchewan uh, university team, that he is going to get a chance in the NHL. I just find it frustrating when someone who preaches accountability and preaches all these things about, you know, okay, leadership and it's all about being a good person in the room is it's a bit two-faced in that regard. And I think players like uh, Jeff O'Neill, who talked to a lot of former players mm-hmm. who have played for him, they all say the same things. You don't necessarily need to be a player's coach to get results. I know Scotty Bowman won a lot of games. I know Bill Walsh won a lot of games. But man, if, if you're not making friends along the way and you're just pissing off every single person you work with, at some point you don't become a fun guy to work with anymore. And I'm not sure if... I get that hockey, being a professional hockey coach, is about managing egos. It's about managing personalities. I think in the modern era, in the year 2021, I think Mike Babcock needs to reevaluate the way he's been doing things. And it doesn't seem like he's ready to do that yet. Or he, I don't think he ever will. And listen, you look at the, you, you look at all the, all the, you know, dynastic head coaches like Greg, Greg Popovich. He, he's a fucking asshole. Like he's great. I love him. But he, Bill Belichick, he's a fucking asshole. But you know why? He'll tear players down before building them back up. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, Exactly. He builds them back up. You know why those guys can get away with that shit? It's because they're successful and because there's a productive and, you know, a forward thinking method behind that. And they have this, they like, they command respect because they have the accolades to back that up. Mike, hey, Mike Babcock, Babcock has accolades. He hasn't, he hasn't has, had much in the last decade, but he exactly. has accolades. You have, and, and you want to talk about, you know, like, like Mike Babcock, if you look at the correlation between his success even in the playoffs, and when Nick Lidstrom retired, one of the best, if not the best, defenseman of all time, it, it, it's a pretty, you know, that is causation like a right there. Line. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you want to talk about correlation, causation, that's fucking it right there. His last playoff win was in 2013. Last time, exactly. He won a playoff round. When, where were you in life when Mike Babcock last won a playoff round? Uh, was that the year the Leafs uh, blew the Game Seven lead to Boston? Yeah, I was in a great place. Well, I mean, like where, like I was, I rem- I was in grade 11. I think I was still in university. Yeah, I was I like I am two years out of university right now and I was not even in grade 12 yet. Ridiculous. Um, the next one. And this is a big and, and when we, you talk about hypocritical nature here, because that's essentially what Mike Babcock is a huge hypocrite because he preaches accountability, takes none of it. The biggest thing that, that, that pisses me off personally is that he, he is extremely hypocritical when it comes to mental health. Because he, he, for years, he was huge on the Bell Let's Talk campaign, which is a hypocritical campaign in itself, as we've talked about. But he was big on that. He was a big advocate for mental health. And he uses that as, as a shield to shield himself from blame here. He talks about, you know, in the Franzen story, he goes, our intention is always good. Do we, things wrong, do, we do things wrong sometime? 100%. But this isn't an isolated incident. Like, there are countless foreign players who come forward with these stories. You know, Babcock playing mental war games or Babcock just essentially bullying them. And Spezza, I didn't even include Spezza in here because Spezza straight up hasn't, he hasn't come clean about it because he's that much of a nice guy. But like Franzen, obviously, uh, uh, and that was straight up like physical and verbal abuse that led to him going to, you know, seek therapy that people usually who have, who are war vets with PTSD go through. Chris Chalios recalls, you know, basically Babcock in a game where he knew in, in one of the winter classics where he knew, um, Chelios, whole family was going to be there in his hometown, um, was forced to play him and he essentially dressed him, played him one shift and then sat him on the bench for the rest of the game. And Mark Frazier, similar story with Jason Spezza, like we talked about. Exactly. So. 
a lot of these stories of him just trying to flex his power and just, you know, it's 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 kind of like this aggro dominance thing, which to be fair, I think this happens in pro sports a lot, and I'm not sure if it's the most productive way to get things done. It's definitely done. not the most productive way to but get things done. But you'd be surprised how many of these stories exist around a lot of other teams in the National Hockey League that aren't publicized. And I, th- I think that's the bigger story here for me is just I think it's an issue, and I think we need to look at the way we're treating people in general. And I don't know. I, I'm clearly not a professional athlete. Maybe that's why I just quote-unquote don't not? get it. But yeah, no, look at me. But The, the France and things specifically because – you know, he's a big, he's a big advocate and he uses that, he uses his mental health advocates advocacy to hide behind here. And then he goes, you know, he essentially asked, have you reached out to France and have you, have you, uh, or no, have you apologized to France? He goes, I reached out to him to apologize. He never got back to me. So like, I, let me, let me tell you, man, if I like, you know, we're, we're very good friends. Um, if I ever did something to hurt you, or, you know, caused you to go to therapy for, you know, to deal with PTSD symptoms and stuff like that. Um, I would call and apologize. And if you didn't pick up the first time, I'd probably call a couple more times. I might send you a letter. I might try and like, if you really want to apologize to someone, um, you, you put a lot of effort into it. Also, I want to say the onus is not on Franzen to be Mike Babcock's bastion of forgiveness here. Like, Franzen, it's not on him to, you know, he gets one phone call. He probably, that phone call probably triggered something in him and he didn't want to talk to him. So Babcock goes, all right, I called him and he get back to me. Whatever. Hands are clean. He's now that's my opportunities. This is his second time. He had the Pierre Lebrun story. Now the Christine Simpson to address these things. And this is how he's choosing to address it. So he I mean, never, he, he, he hasn't owned it. Like if he just straight, if, if they, Christine Simpson gave him a clear opportunity to be like, what I did with friends and was wrong. I regret it, you know, every day. I'm so sorry. And, and I just want to put it out there that like, I, I never want to go through something that again. I've listened and I'm, he won't do that. Cause I don't think he thinks he did anything wrong. It's that it's yeah, it's that. And also I don't think, I think his pride is too big for him to ever admit that he did something wrong wholeheartedly because he, he, he hides behind the whole, yo, yeah, oh, you know, I'm sorry I did this. And do I own it hundred percent? But it just, listen, like he, he also goes into, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities I did by treating people poorly. And in a, in a conversation like this, he then goes to, you know, stroke his own dick during all of this by, by saying, you know, oh, you know, I got, I got hired by Bob, you know, by, by uh, Brian Murray in Anaheim and, you know, Brandon Shanahan, this and that, whatever, you know, I don't think I would have gotten the opportunities, you know, that I've gotten if you don't treat people with respect. You know what? In hockey, I mean, look at Bill Peters, who has uh, uh, you know, in, in eighth of the success of the minimal success Babcock has had as an NHL head coach. And he was getting, you know, huge jobs. And we all know that he treated people like absolute garbage, not to the extent Babcock did. But I think a, it's not, it's not a prerequisite that like, it's very possible for someone to treat people like shit and also get opportunities. If you win in professional sports, you can get away with a lot. If you are a, Big time lawyer who gets a lot of big wins at his firm, you can get away with a lot. And Mike Babcock got away with a lot for a long time, but the wins weren't piling up in the playoffs over the last seven, eight years. And I think people started to point out some of his flaws and he wasn't happy with it. And it's also really important to note that he didn't get fired because of, you know, behind the scenes politics and drama and and Dubas kind of launching an attack to ice him out. He got fired because the team was garbage. They were terrible in those 20 games. They, they, they quit on him. They stopped skating for him. It was exactly. pretty clear if you were watching the games closely, especially those last couple. They just they completely. sacrificed Casimir Cascasuo 
to get him out of there. Poor. His Poor mom dude. was in the stands, super proud of him. And he was hawking in Canada, too. Shell-shocked, and he's never <sighs> been in the league again. I, that, that was sad. Now, this is, this is the one that, re- that tickles me as well. It's Jack Hahn told a story. You know, Jack Hahn, he used to work for, for the Leafs. He was a Marley's uh, head coach up until last year. Um, and he was talking about, you know, he was part of these deadline conversations. And at trade deadline 2019, you know, the Leafs were considering bringing in a player that a lot of people on Twitter, yourself included, I'm assuming. Analytics um, darling Nick Jensen was exactly. on the, uh, the the target list. They were lo- they would love to bring him in. He was making minimal money. You know, he was he was seemed to be easy to to have, and they did th- they were trying to do that to bring in to to create a a mobile third pair. Um, and at the time, that right that right shot on the third pair was Igor Ojeganov, a Are player sure it was Roman Polak. No, it was Ojeanov in 2019. Okay. And it was a player who essentially impued no value on the game, but was big and sturdy and a good player. And, um, and Babcock, you know, someone who Babcock loved and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so in bringing in Nick Jensen to create that third mobile pair with Travis Dermott, Babcock essentially went, if you bring in Jensen, I'm just going to sit Dermott. Yep. And this is where coaches who value, you know, the, the, physical edge and here's the thing I, I find myself even this year with the Zach Bogosian type in the past with the Roman Polak I mean last year I don't know if Cody Cece filled the physical uh tools, but a lot of coaches value defense in a way that numbers guys like me aren't aren't looking at it because we're just thinking okay no win the possession battle make sure that you have guys who play tight gap in the neutral zone they're mobile going back on a loose puck they can beat the four checker to that puck make a quick pass up and out of the zone and boom you're not on defense anymore whereas Mike Babcock would say ah I don't trust Travis Dermott and Nick Jensen in their own end I got to make sure I got a stable guy back there it's whether it was Ojeganov or a Polak or a Bogosian this year a lot of coaches value that, and it's that's not exclusive to Mike Babcock. That's a lot of hockey coaches. I mean, John Cooper mm-hmm. was obsessed with Andre Suster for a long time. He was a six foot eight guy who couldn't do anything with the puck on yeah. his stick. I don't know, but maybe this is just you know new age, modern way of looking at the game and thinking, oh, let's get this mobile possession driving third pair of a Dermot and a Jensen. Justin Hall was another perfect example of a guy who isn't quote unquote. Uh, tough according to Mike Babcock Mike Babcock uh, I've heard a few people say oh you know I don't like Holly soft but if you win the puck race in the corner advance it to your partner get up at the ice defend the rush well play a tight gap if you do those things well with consistency you're gonna end up on the positive end of shots chances and goals in the long run I think this just comes down to different ways of philosophically looking at the game. I mm. think the Dubis versus Babcock debates, I think those were very real behind the scenes. And I think this is yeah. just another example of them. But they shouldn't have even been a debate because, like, obviously debate is, is very important. But, like, Babcock, as we've seen here, he thinks very... Anyone who speaks in the third person, we obviously know is an egomaniac. Ian but, Tullock agrees with this statement. Yeah. And that's and Mike Stevens uh, made that statement, and it's a perfect statement because it came from Mike Stevens. It's been um, a good year and a half for Ian Tulloch. It really absolutely. Hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it hasn't been a good year and a half for anybody. I, pain, 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 pain. Um, but like, bad. You let me tell you, man. You are not going to get anywhere. And this is it goes to show the the straight up like borrowed time Babcock's living in and playing with fire is that like in the real world you're not going to get anywhere if you shit kick your boss publicly at every turn if you if you 
like go against them at every turn. If they give you these opportunities and you go and say, oh, well, it's not the right one in, you know, this, that, like getting him Jake Muzzin, I got you a straight up top in mid season. He was able to give you a top pairing defenseman. Um, without subtracting from the actual roster, without subtracting from that depth that you're complaining about, and he was like, "Oh, he's not the right handedness, so fuck this guy." Like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still gonna play Ron Hainsey on my top pair in the playoffs against Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, that's. A I great will idea. just never, I will never let that go, and I just, I really hope that this, I, I really hope that that what the 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 outcome from this is going to be is that people across the hockey world are going to look and say Mike Babcock has learned absolutely nothing. He has done, he keeps saying he's done these, you know, these introspective uh, moments of thinking. He's learned, he's the exact same person that he was when he got fired by the Leafs as he is today, years later. And I think it's very difficult and very, a scary proposition putting him in charge of 19 to 22 year olds when we've seen how the mind games and how he has treated players exactly in that age group. At the same time, you want to give people a chance to improve, right? I know one of the big things with quote unquote, cancel culture bro you can't be you know oh, just because someone says something that's offensive it's it's more about giving someone an opportunity to show that they can change and in his last two public statements i haven't seen much to suggest exactly that. the whole it's all it's about receipts if you want to give them someone if you want to give someone a second chance absolutely the big reason behind anyone who, who you know is trying to come back in the public eye is we go okay have you improved? And is there a tangible record of you actually improving and, and proof that you like actual tangible proof that you've learned from this experience and you will do better. He has to change. He has to prove that he's changed and he has shown that he just straight up hasn't. And I hope that I, I sincerely hope that and it, like people in league wide, like circles league wide, look at this and they go, he's the same person that he is. And so because he has a now universal reputation of being a shit guy. And if they're thinking of hiring him as a coach, what player is going to be excited to play for Mike Babcock? I can't think of anyone. The The league's only getting younger and these, and these methods are only going to become more and more outdated. At the same time, it's a winning industry. And if he comes into a team and gets you into the playoffs and you win a playoff round, which by the way, he hasn't done since 2013, then... I guess you can put up with it. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that we hold people accountable, much in the way that, that Mike Babcock claims that we want to hold people accountable. But yeah. I'd like to see Mike Babcock hold himself accountable at some point here. But that's I'll true. let you get to the Kovalev shift here to, to wrap things up. Yeah, that's all we really need to say about that. And I hope we never have to hear Mike Babcock's uh, name again. Kovalev was a great shot, scores! Alex Kovalev! Kovalev shift is usually reserved for, you know, Rachel getting mad about something, but this is, uh, we're not mad about this. If anything, we're sad. We just wanted to give a shout out um, and pay respects to Brian Frazier, uh, who passed uh, passed away today um, at the age of 26, or I think last night at the age of 26. Uh, Brian was, you know, extremely prevalent in, in Sense Twitter, but that also transcended any kind of fandom. He was, you know, extremely positive person, very upfront about his battle with uh, leukemia. Um, and essentially gave a really kind of harrowing and, and informative first person look into, you know, someone battling cancer. He was always positive, always, you know, uh, um, open about his struggles and, and showing support for, to his favorite teams and, and really became, became a friend to a lot of people raised a lot of money for blood donation, uh, blood donation banks, which, you know, were important to his, um, his treatment and are criminally low, um, these days. He, I, I, 
there's nothing, nothing but good things to say about this person. And, you know, 26 years old, he was robbed from us to, to way too young. And, uh, so he was a producer, technical producer at, you know, 580 CFRA in Ottawa. And man, I just want to, just want to send as many good, good thoughts and as many, you know, good, um, good well wishes to his family, because this is just an absolute tragedy. And the only, the only positive, I guess, uh, we can take this that he's not in pain anymore and he was able to live out the last uh, couple months of his life um, around, surrounded by people he loved and in, in as much comfort as he possibly could be. Um, the tweet that was put out last night by Rick Frazier, who I, I think was his brother, I could be wrong there, but he, mm-hmm. he said, uh, so we wish Brian a bon voyage with a Sens win. Brian Frazier passed away tonight after a hard-fought battle. We know he's at peace and looking for ways to watch down on us. Uh, again, wishing him and his family the best. Uh, there's really no good way for me to transition this into the end of a, a podcast. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes life happens, and and you know, shit gets real. And you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings here on on Twitter. I know that we we obsess about hockey. We all have this kind of shared passion. And most of the time, Twitter isn't the friendliest place. But Brian seemed like a guy who was a, a genuinely good dude on this platform. Just a good which person. Is very difficult. Most yeah. people aren't. So no. Man, best best wishes to him and his family. Just because yeah. this sucks, you know. I I know everyone's you know f cancer is like a big thing, but yeah, he was just a genuine like you you find very few people who are just genuine like rays of sunshine, and that's what he was. Like every time I logged onto Twitter and I saw a tweet from him, it was just made me smile. Whether or not it was him detailing, you know, his his struggles, where just knowing that you know he felt comfortable enough to kind of share that, and people were supporting him. There wasn't a I man, it's just it's just a tragedy. So I uh, yeah, just wanted to give to to give him you know some space on our you know small platform and let him know that you know he's loved and and remembered and will always be remembered by the hockey community and all of those people that he touched you know so dearly. Um, and with that, we will uh, leave you here. I believe next week Rachel will be back on the show. So reg- regularly scheduled programming, um, which means You'll have that good Ian analysis will... next week. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whatever this deal... has been. We won't have to deal with this fucking guy. Jeez Louise. Just, oh my God. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. I know. Yeah. No, no one hates me more than me. And I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like we both share that sentiment. So you can find, uh, you can find Ian on Twitter at Ian Graff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mikey Stevens 81, the podcast at Staff Graf. Um, find us, you know, find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, literally any podcatcher that's out there. We're there. Um, buy our merch on Redbubble redbubble.com slash thafgraph and also uh, uh leave us a review um on on itunes or on any other platform that you can you can do that on we love to to hear your feedback so thank you for tuning in ian if you'd like to give the the people one last word before we head off pouring one out for you brian here's to you and your family thinking about you <laughs>